From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome everybody to another edition of The Groundsman, brought to you by our fantastic sponsors at Entourage Media. Joining me as always, my two fellow groundsmen, Roger Mitchell and Giles. Oh my God, Morgan. <laughs> I was going to actually Giles Mitchell then. Let me do that again. <laughs> <laughs> the Mitchell brothers. All Phil and the other one. Grant, Phil and Grant. Oh, fucking hell, you, Grant. Fucking you Williams. Talk. <laughs> Let's try that again. Or maybe James will even leave it in. Who knows? <laughs> Joining me, as always, my two fellow groundsmen, Roger Mitchell and Giles Morgan. Gents, come in. Now, Roger, you first. How are you? I'm good. I'm very, very good. It's very warm here now. Exceptionally warm, but good. Excellent. And uh, and Giles, mate, you there? I am. And, you know, it's it's amazing. I live in uh, Southfields in southwest London in Wandsworth. And, um, of course, Wimbledon is is starting this week. Oh, yes. And this Monday. is the tube station of Wimbledon. And you can't get a fucking car park pass anywhere around here to park in the street, <laughs> which is a problem. B, everybody seems to think that during Wimbledon fortnight that they need to dress up as a tennis player. So everybody's walking around with sort of tennis rackets over their back and sort of looking whatever. But I have to say, really exciting. One of our global events in the UK is back. And um, yeah, it's um, bloody chaos here. And it's, 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 are they, am I right in thinking they're having full crowds? Is it just for the finals or is it for the whole way through, Giles? I think it's building up to the final, yes. So the, the, the test event status means they start on a limited capacity and build up towards the final. But nice. I have to say I'm, I've been very lucky. Um, I've got some tickets for, for various times during the fortnight. And um, the, the protocols and the, the sort of technical IT ability that you need in order to figure it all out is testing me as someone who can barely switch on a computer. But it's, um, it, it is amazing to have it you know, at one of our big global events, as I say, back. And with all of the rigmarole they've had to go through, the, the All England Club. But fingers crossed, it's going to be um, uh, something very special. Well, at, at the other end of that scale, I'm, I'm one of the first topics du jour, I think, uh, talking about uh, global events and great to have them back, is a global event maybe won't be going ahead, and that's the Lions Tour. Obviously, we've had the warm-up game uh, up at Murrayfield, where the Lions actually, I thought, did very well to beat Japan, who are no shabby side, even though they lost Alan Wynne-Jones, which is a huge blow to the Lions. But now with the coronavirus cases spiking in South Africa, Giles, it may be that this Lions tour, as cursed as it seems to have been all the way through, may not go ahead after all. Well, it's certainly bubbling as we record this show, and it's up with, with the South African government now. Gauteng, which is where Johannesburg and Pretoria, well, Johannesburg really is, is one of the hotspots in South Africa, and, and cases are going up dramatically. And, of course, then it becomes a, such a political issue, which is the Lions is such a valuable part of the South African heritage, but the economy even on a, on a lesser level with less fans and um, being able to attend. But it could be at the nth hour, maybe by the time this show is released, either the Lions will go and hopefully they'll stay out for their five weeks and play the three tests, or they'll make the decision that it's just not safe and they can't. And, you know, 
it is a hot topic because all these international events going on, we've got the Euros right now and, and, and the, the challenges. And of course, the Olympics about, coming up. The Olympics coming up is whatever one's view about domestic arrangements around COVID and getting on with society and living your life, the idea of knowingly creating international events which bring people and expose people from different countries, it, it's such a hot topic. And I, I don't know what my view is, actually, other than... it's a really difficult one to decide. And if the Lions back out, or if they're told to back out, isn't that what the Olympics Games should be doing as well? And they probably won't, and you understand why. But my God, this is the hottest of hot potatoes right now. I tell tell you what, Giles, you may not have a view, but I bet you I know someone who does. No, no, there there, Um, there wouldn't be be one. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, Listen, uh, I I really, as somebody that's that's been involved in in running sports tournaments, I've got enormous sympathy for for everybody. But, you know, sadly, these decisions are not going to be made by what we we call common sense. Uh, It's that old phrase, just follow the money. You know, there was a wonderful article, and I think it was in the, um, the New York Times, about, you know, why Tokyo's still going ahead. And it's just about the money. You know, when you saw um, the the rules that are coming out of the Japanese about the fans and you can't wave a flag, you can't cheer. We we discussed this two or three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. The joyless Olympics. These things are just going ahead because of um, filthy lucre. And that, I'm not saying, you know, like, I don't understand that. You know, the, the, I, I'm the one that always says it's a business, am I? So I, I guess I've got to be consistent there. But um, these things are not going ahead in the right spirit. And um, I guess it just shows up the, 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 the dichotomy that always exists these days between what we're trying to do with sport as, as a social event, as a sporting event for athletes, and as a business that has got multi-millions in sponsorship and media, I, I don't have a strong opinion. I just understand what a horrible triage, no-win situation this is. Yeah, no, look, it is a no-win situation. And, and nothing brings that home more than the Euros, looking around the various venues and seeing, you, you know, 10,000, 15,000 people at Wembley Stadium and 67,000 full house in, in Hungary. Uh, you know, all masters singing their hearts out. It just shows you that everyone's got a different protocol. You know, it was interesting. Today I was reading that Singapore, who've had some of the more stringent quarantine protocols put in place, you know, three weeks quarantine in a government facility if you come into the country, and many countries not allowed to fly to uh, Singapore. And they've released papers this weekend talking about how they are preparing to live with COVID. You know, they're going to they're scrap the quarantine, they're going to scrap the protocols, they're going to scrap a lot of the stuff and they realize that look, we're not getting rid of this thing so the sooner we learn to live with it the mm. better and it, and it feels yeah. like we're at that point and maybe these maybe these sporting events are are the perfect test cases for that i don't know i think that's right grant i think everybody is now starting to realize you know there's now a, a trade-off and people have to analyze that and there's other illnesses that go on and and people live with them it was interesting to see the, the successor to Matt Hancock uh, immediately say, I want to get back to uh, normal as soon as possible. I, I'm all for that as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet they do. I bet they do. So, yeah, I think that's coming. I think that I think uh, that by the end of this year, then they'll be managing whatever the, the costs are, whether it's hospitals or whatever, but we'll be back to normal. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Well, what, what else has caught your eye this week? Phyllis Charles, what's, uh, what's been on your radar? Well, 
funny enough, it was it's been a, a extraordinary weekend of, of rugby, and I, I rather enjoyed. There was an amazing Premiership final that Harlequins yeah. um, narrowly beat Exeter, which was a magnificent game of rugby. But actually, one of the things that really probably stood out for a lot of people was just the joy of seeing Louis Liner, who is the son of Michael Liner, who is obviously mm-hmm. a Wallaby captain and one of the great fly halves of all time. He's a mate, as it, as it is anyway. But also, Michael Liner had a terrible stroke a few years back, and it wasn't great at the time. And he's bounced back, as you'd expect, from a fairly resilient Auss- Aussie. And just to see that joy of what I think one of the great games of club rugby ever I mean, it genuinely yep. was. And then to see the family joy of his 20-year-old boy who's picked up a couple of tries and the, the manner of... When, for me, it was just a lovely reminder, albeit in a Twickenham of 10,500, 11,000 people or whatever it was, that sport it can be just so very joyful on all sorts of levels, you know, whether it's binary, whether it's close, whether it's family, whether it's hardship, whatever it may be. And it just gave me a great... I've been feeling a bit down in the dumps about everything as lots of people are at the moment and it just gave me a massive boost for the sport that I love the most which was I, I don't support either of the sides it wasn't that it was just the joy of sport and I it, it's got me back on the track tomorrow and I'll be doing the straightest of lines for a few weeks yet lads I can tell you no, I, I, I think that's a great comment, Giles. It's a little bit, um, the best stories are always the ones that, that touch you personally. You know, so I, I my, my son came back from a couple of weeks sailing at um, the top Italian school for sailing in Sardinia. It's called Caprera. And, um, you know, he was telling me all about it. And, and then I was just starting to realise, you know, I was talking about Sail GP the other day to somebody in a sponsorship environment. And I, to be honest, I was talking about it without really knowing what it was that well. It was because I think they also have got a sponsor, Cognizant, the ones that are in um, Aston Martin. Uh, and anyway, he was telling me about sailing. And he said, look, you know, physically, uh, it is incredibly tough. You know, incredibly, incredibly hard. Uh, and, and that's a great thing for sport. You know, the, the second thing is that in, in this world that we're going into, you know, um, it's so uh, green ocean preservation. Uh, you know, if you read the CLGP uh, website, it's all about that kind of stuff. And I think that's got to be, you know, um, again, excuse the pun, with a fair wind behind it. Then, you know, the other thing that, you know, he's a physics guy, my son, and, and he was telling me about, you know, the lessons at the, the board where, you know, you, you have to understand the wind and the various forces and everything like that. And it's pretty decent, hard physics. And I'm thinking this this sport is a way to get into STEM as well. And then the last thing is, you know, like they're getting up early. They It's like military type discipline. They have to like clean everything, then they eat their breakfast, then they clean up, then they go out, then they have their lesson. And, you know, Larry Ellison's behind Sail GP. And I think that is one to put in your back pocket and say, this is the future for sport. I, I really, it's interesting you say that, Rog, is that Sail GP and with the backers behind, as you say, is sailing has been a sport that for many years has sponsored a, a company when I used to work for, for HSBC. Sailing with the demographic was always one to look to look at but the trouble was a little bit was sailing in the old days was over the over the horizon you never saw them for for weeks on end if it was around the world yep. yacht race or if it was america's cup it was all too far out and the technology didn't allow it to be very exciting and of course with tech now and they've made huge huge inroads with their technology drones and, 
and drones and also the way that the virtual sailor um, technology yeah, works. The is, data. It is a brilliant sport. Brilliant. Um, and as you say, for, for all sorts of for all sorts of reasons. And I think the Sail GP is definitely one to watch because it's international, it's environmental, which ticks a lot of boxes, it's about camaraderie and teamwork, but also the excitement of it that if you're a sailor, you've understood for years how exciting it is, is now it's possible for the, for the viewer, the virtual viewer, Great to, point. to get involved. And I, I, I think it is one to watch because... It, it, it's um you know you look at the formula e which is obviously now the counterweight to, to formula one in particular but here's going to be another series of astonishing racing um in another format which um, also ticks and boxes which probably leads us on to another point which is you know we, we talk about sponsorship and sponsors having to really um mirror the societal need for what is yes. called esg well, there is nothing better than environmental display than sailing there. And I think you'll see a lot of growth in that particular sport and other variants within sailing. Couldn't be more. And it is, it's, a, it's an incredibly exciting sport. And, and to get the kind of access that these new cameras will give us will, be, uh, will really bring that, I think, into people's living rooms. You know, and another story that we've talked about before, uh, Rog, several times, you and I, particularly in Goal on Goal, I think, and that's the NCAA and the move away from amateur status. And obviously there was a story this week talking about how they are going to allow athletes to be paid. And I know this is a story that, that you've had a bee in your bonnet about for quite some time. So what did you, I presume you saw that story. What, what were your thoughts when you, when you read yeah, it? Yeah, this is, this is undoubtedly the story of the week and I would argue of the year. And, you know, we probably need to take some time over this because it, it, it encapsulates a lot of the things that I think represents groundsmen and are you not entertained? You know, there's one quote, and we'll get into the detail in a minute, but I always like to start a little bit macro. There's one quote here that I think represents so many of the things in sport that I, I just think are unsustainable. You know, the Supreme Court, so these aren't diddy judges. This is the cream of the cream, right? Um, the Supreme Court, 9-0. I mean, that never happens in the Supreme Court. You get 9-0. The quote is... Um, happens in Scotland games, reasonably, more often. <laughs> you, you broke my flow there. The, the line is, uh, flatly illegal in any other industry in America. 9-0. You know, and, and that's how I think, I believe that I have a, a perspective on sport that helps me a little bit. I just kind of like come in and I say... If I was just arriving here into this industry or indeed onto this planet today and I didn't know how we got here and I had no desire to know how we got here and I looked at sport, what would be reasonable to say that's fine and what would be absolutely unsustainable? And there's loads of them and we'll come on to various ones, but this is the main one. It's just the fact that, we, as you say, Grant, we've talked, spoke about this many times. You've got basically universities that are dealing in multi-billion pound contracts uh, for media. They've got 90,000 people in stadia. You've got, the, I think the chief executive of the NCAA gets about four million a year. You've got various lieutenants of his, I think it's a him, you know, well over a million a year. You've got heads of academic departments at universities, ditto, seven figures and some. And then you've got coaches of these teams, equally super, super well paid, 
the only poor sods that don't get anything out of this are the athletes. And this is my point. You know, we can argue about the, the little details here, there and everywhere and everything like that. But the point is to the man on the top of the Clapham omnibus, that makes no fucking sense. It makes no sense. And, you know, sport lives in this bubble of we've always done it this way, the tradition is this way, and sometimes it takes somebody from left field, in this case the Supreme Court, to say, you know what, and here's the phrase again, flatly illegal in any other industry in America. Let's just reflect on that. And I'm telling you, if you if we put our mind to it, if this industry puts their mind to it, you can find loads of examples of that. We've seen one with uh, football. Current status quo is shambolic. It's totally broken. Anybody can see that that's looking in. I won't go, won't go into everything we've said over the last two or three months on, on these shows for, from Are You Not Entertained? Clearly not going to work. Clearly not sustainable. And there's loads of others, but my point is now college sport in America, game over. And the knock-on effects are going to be huge, guys. They're going to be huge. Well, yeah, let, let's let's talk about those because I think, I think you're right. This is a huge story. It's long overdue, Rog, and the knock-on effects will be extraordinary, I think. So let, let's kick a few of them around. What, what do you see as the kind of the, the most obvious, most immediate knock-on effects? Uh, I'll let Giles come in in a second. I'll be very brief here. This is another example. What we're going to see now is another example of the market working. And what does the market do? The market pays people that generate wins and generate media and uh, unbundles that from the, the players that don't. So what you're going to get, very, very briefly, there's a whole lot of other waterfall effects, but you're going to get rich colleges, excellent colleges having great players come to them. That's going to be a virtuous circle. So you're going to have an elitism that sounds very similar to me what's happening with the top two dozen teams in European football. Same thing's going to happen there. That's how the market works. And once you take away from sport what they call the specificity of sport, that you can basically operate a cartel because it's sport, because we always have, because it's traditional. Once somebody rips that away in an emperor's clothes moment, like the Supreme Court has, you see what the market does and the market pays who is the generator of wealth. Now, you know, one of the obvious problems for me is, um, let's say they start paying the college athletes, right? There's a great opportunity because I mean, the vast majority of college athletes end up leaving university with a degree and going down that career path and they never play organised sport again. They may play pickup games in the local Y or whatever it may be, but there's a vast majority of guys who play Division 1A, the highest level of college basketball, for example, that the end of their senior season, they're done. Now, we all know how this payment is going to work, Rog. The star players in college are going to get all the money the same way it, it is in the pros. It, it, it would be a great opportunity to, for these college programs to pay a flat fee so that even the kids who aren't going to make a career out of basketball post-college get a chance to share in the money at that point in their careers and, and do get paid for all the work they put in. But I think we both know how that is going to eventually pan out, right? Yeah, but it's Grant, going to be- Grant, again, but Grant, sorry, let's come back to any other industry would be flatly illegal. What you're suggesting there is a price fixing. 
that's price fixing, mate. You no, know, no, 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 no. I'm talking about. No, no, hang on a second. I'm talking about the colleges. The colleges saying, right, we, we will think about it as a as a, 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 an entry level position, right, Rog? Let's say, yeah, the the, the the salary band for a data inputter at this firm is fifty grand a year, right? And that's what we pay right. all our entry level data programmers. There is uh-huh. there, there is a way to level this playing field and say, look, you know, if you, if you, the going rate for a college athlete, a college basketball player, if you make the first team, is 100 grand a year, whatever it may be. Because let's, let's face it, the guys who are destined to be superstars are going to get that money in spades on the back end. And if you allow them to have endorsement contracts even while they're at college, they're still going to get paid the big bucks. But it gives you a chance to say, here's the, here's the pay scale for this, for this role, and that allows the people who are number seven, number eight, number nine, number 10 on those squads to actually get paid and get paid a proper salary for the, for the time and effort they put into their basketball careers. No? Grant, that's, I hear what you're saying. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm not it's, saying that's going to happen. I'm saying well, no, that, it, what I a great opportunity. It happen. That's, th- th- listen, it's the same theme of everything, whether it's the golf super league, the, 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 the LP with the hits and fillers. It's the same theme. You're asking the generator of wealth, which is the superstar, to subsidize the other people who wouldn't get it otherwise. Now, you know, that's... Yeah, it's socialist. It's maybe the right way. It keeps a level playing field. I'm just saying that once you apply, this is the classic thing with sport. Once you open the door, as the Americans have always have, and say we are a business, then you have to operate like business does, and you can't price fix so that the, the everybody gets the same amount, and you can't stop people from earning money. And here's the other thing: you can't stop people from going where they want to uh, uh, apply their trade. That was uh, the. Bosman rule in soccer many years ago in one of those other moments like I say Clapham Omnibus how did you ever think it was going to be sustainable to, to, to keep a player at the end of his contract from not walking to somebody else I remember before Bosman everybody thought it was like heresy and John Luke Bosman was the devil what I'm saying is you can't do this half pregnant and now the floodgates are open and you know I just think you should embrace it. You should embrace it and just let it go and let the market do its thing. Well, it, it is extraordinary, isn't it? Because we as, as Brits, is we've always looked across the, the Atlantic and seen the, the difference in college sports and marvelled at the, the, the number of people who've always, you know, the, the extraordinary spectator numbers and that this was a commercial beast and has been for some time and yet held on to some sort of element of Corinthian, which clearly made, makes no sense if for the arguments you made. And yet there is something probably a bit sad and disappointing that the end of the Corinthian has happened, even though it, it's the right, it, it's right that it has, because what it does is you can't put the toothpaste back in, as you say, that's gone now. And I suspect what you might find is that there will be a new level of college sport that happens, which will be at the, the kind of level for normal everyday people where they just play college sport because they're playing for their college and they're never going to be professional and it will not necessarily attract the 80, 90,000s and it will be much everyone more... Everyone finds their level, yeah. Everyone finds their everyone level. Everyone finds their level. And you'll find... And you're seeing that in some schools already in the UK, funnily enough. You can't have academy schools that play against the elite and they all play... And they're all effectively academies for different sporting clubs. And then you get the sort of everyday, which is just playing college sport because you're still fit enough, just you haven't drunk 
quite enough beer in the student union to fall over. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, that's the end of your sporting career of any knowledge. So I, I wonder if what we'll see is a sort of the elite becoming more and more elite. The market, as you say, Rog, will become the market and it will create this virtuous circle and then probably will fill in at the bottom, which will be a much more pleasant <laughs> for me, which is just the attainable sense of, well, I play for my university. I wasn't much good, but it was fun. And it isn't commercial, but it is playing sport because participation is still really important and college sport in any country is a really important part of that. That's right. You know, it's funny, we, we on the groundsman, I think about a month ago, we talked significantly about the new overtime. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, I mean, like, do, do we think all these things are coincidences? Th- this is my point, lads. These things don't happen just, you know, out, out of the blue. There are forces, market forces that usually work in tandem. The overtime league was, as we said at the time, a very good idea from people that understand new forms of media, that understand uh, the way that people want to consume the sport, and they understood a problem, which was that these lads and girls also in college sport were not getting paid, whereas uh, their coaches, their bosses, the university C-suite were lording it and like full of money, and Overtime League addressed that. And then at the same time, somebody all of a sudden says, yeah, flatly illegal in any other industry. And I, I keep coming back to this, you know, sport does not change. It will not change on its own. And, you know, people like us can talk all year, two years, three years, four years. In my experience, it never changed. You look at the NCAA, 11 years ago, they lost uh, that case with O'Bannon, you know, over, you know, I think it was image rights or something like that. You know, that one, they, they, they dug their heels in and went to court, probably the thin end of the wedge. And you can probably take a timeline from uh, O'Bannon to this Supreme Court uh, judgment and realize that NCAA won't change. So they need to be ripped away, ripped away, just like the old LP and the old music business was ripped away because they won't change. There are too many conflicts of interest, positions to be protected. And, you know, that's why in all of these things, when they happen, yeah, I don't like it that, you know, it becomes more elitist and, you know, it splits into Hollywood and art house, but it, it has to be that way. It has to be that way. And it's better if you're a governing body to say it's going to go that way and you try and control it, maybe slow it down, maybe take off the the real harshness of it, off the edges, rather than just saying, no, never, I won't budge an inch, I will stay here my dying day to protect the traditions of my sport, and you get whammed by an overtime at one end and you get whammed by the Supreme Court at another end. And I'm sure if we put our mind to it in this uh, call here, this uh, this uh, break <laughs> at, at lunchtime, if you will, we could come up with others. You know, it's the theme. Sport doesn't change, so it's roadkill. I'm, I'm sorry that's so harsh, but we will look back five years' time now and we will put up on one of those wooden boards that you get in bowling clubs or golf clubs or tennis clubs the list of governing bodies and their chairman and, and chief executives who were just run over. 
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is that. Even though you kind of dispelled, I think, for thousands of people the the, the thought that maybe we were sitting behind our uh, our rollers <laughs> and our mowers, chewing the cud, as as it were. And 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 now they realise it might be on a call. My God, the dreams said, have shattered. Of said a, the of fake a... pirate. <laughs> said the fake pirate. <laughs> there's, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that, that I wanted to talk about, um, but I wanted to bring up the Euros, Rog, because finally we've seen. I think three teams have gone home out of the twenty-four uh, after the first two weeks of games. I think they finally kicked three teams out, and we're getting closer to some games that matter. But you know, this does bring up a familiar conversation about the desire of the organising bodies to make these tournaments bigger and bigger and the damage that does to the integrity and the quality of the competition. I just, this tournament has laid that bare where you've got three out of the four players in a whole bunch of groups all going through to the next round. As a fan, um, you know, I, I, I remember back in my youth watching every group game of every World Cup because there was a degree of jeopardy to it. And nowadays, it's not really worth tuning in until... Until the knockout phases, right? Well, I mean, can, 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 can I just chip in there? Because you two are proper football fans and I'm not. I'm a sports fan and I will tune into football generally when it gets exciting, like yeah, there you go. the Dundumon the, the bit. And for me, it's just, I cannot, but I, 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 it does my head in. And I think a lot of non-fans of, of other sports would understand this, which is you want to get it when it's exciting, where every single course second matters. And if it doesn't, what is the point? I, I have not tuned oh, I'll into tell you what the Euros. point is, Giles. Again, follow the money. Follow the money. You know, like uh, I had a, a, um, a little exchange with one, one of the community who's now chief executive at one of the, the smaller football FAs who would have been pushing to expand from 8 to 16 to 24 over the years because, let's be honest, it's the only place they make money is when they take part in a big competition as a wee team and they manage to scramble off a couple of the crumbs from the big boys' table and that pays for all their salaries and all their stuff and they cover that up in grassroots and participation. It's nothing other than just subsidising people who don't deserve to be there. You know, what is wrong with having, like you do for the British Open, you have qualifying rounds. Okay, you got that in football, but you could make it even more draconian here. That's right. There's too many games. And let's not talk about what that's going to do to the players who haven't had a yeah. break now for, for 18 months. And when, and when we take it right the way through to Qatar, it's going to be the best part of 36 months. They haven't had a break. Last 12 months, they've been falling over like nine pins. And I have to hear people telling me that these these tournaments should be big, so everybody should get the odd occasion to play football with the big boys. What's the, what, what is this all about? You know, either say the truth and say you're doing it for money and you understand that and it's the way that things have to be, but don't give it, oh, our fans need to get a chance to have a busman's holiday travelling around Europe to follow these things. That's not the reason you're doing this. The reason you're doing this is because if you do not qualify for the World Cup and the European Championships, you don't have any money as an FA. You don't have any money. And this hypocrisy really kills me, lads. And it's another one of these things that I said at the top of the show. 
Clapham Omnibus, if somebody came down now and said, why do you have 24 teams playing meaningless rubbers where most people get through anyway? You would, you would, you just wouldn't have an answer. You wouldn't have an answer. And we have to live with this. And, and I, I'm going to continue, you know, this theme now because it's the same everywhere you look in sport. You've got competing governing bodies in the same sport. Let's take a couple, you know, like rugby. Uh, how many are there now? Four, five, six, if you include the Lions and Pro 14 or whatever they call themselves now and the Six Nations and everything like that, all competing for player time, all competing for uh, sell their media rights, etc., etc. And the players, the players are falling over like nine pins. Let's take cricket. Let's take cricket. I mean, like, do we know that in the last uh, week uh, somebody was crowned World Test Champions because there's some event that's run by another governing body. Can't remember their name. What is it? BCCI or ICC? I have no idea, but somebody that runs world cricket. I don't know. I don't know how that works. They put on some kind of like world championship between New Zealand and India. Um, again, strange six-day test match. I don't think MD knows who won that, maybe they do, but really who cares, the cricket is all about the IPL now, and everybody needs to work around the generator of wealth, which is the IPL but no, you've got all these governing bodies all throwing extra games at players at fans, because that's what they're trying to do all the time golf, golf's the same who cares about the Olympics? You know, uh, isn't it funny, chaps, the number of golfers that are coming up with these lovely little excuses about yeah, why they're not going to go yeah. to the Olympics? It's laughable, laughable. Why don't they just say it? It means nothing to me. It's something that, that blah, blah, blah. Why don't they just say it? FedEx Cup, another thing like that. And, at the other, and it's all fiddling while Rome burns because over there there's a Super League and they don't want to address it. Governing bodies need to get their shit together big time or in five years, roadkill. Can't argue with that. I tell you what, if you're driving the truck too, you'll be sweeping up more squirrels and rodents on the way. My God, it's brilliant when you go onto one of those, Rog. I just sit back and um, I think what a lot of people love about the show and you in particular is that you're portents of, of, of the future and what is coming because I think you're right, the calendar gets more and more congested. And the absurdity is the people who are supposed to be in the same room together, supporting the development of sport, tend to fight for their own fiefdoms, obviously chasing the money, and realising that the fan, the fan is left befuddled, confused, doesn't yep. know what's what, doesn't have enough time, there's enough distractions going on from other things, and the exactly. market will collapse, and, and, and it will, and it will be... What's been really interesting to me is seeing now particularly, and we've talked about this with investment coming into sport, but what you're beginning to see already is investment in sport is also beginning to see wholesale changes in who is running those sports that they've come into. And that is going to be the change. And suddenly the very well-meaning amateur, the chap or chapess who's been there forever, who who maybe once you know played rounders for England or whatever it may be, will be superfluous to... Um, the future and it needs people to think like business but for the good of the customer because it's the good of the customer that creates that wealth because if you just keep 
layering more and more stuff in, you switch people off. And I'm a good example of someone who is a, you know, a, a sports fan, but I'm very switched off by international football right now, just because there's too much and the jeopardy isn't enough and it doesn't matter. I'll start watching. Obviously, there's a big week coming up this week <laughs> on Tuesday for England fans and Germany fans, but too much and it's going to get worse and it will then get as you say, roadkill time. But Rog, do you, do you not think this is, you know, you and I started this particular conversation three, almost four years ago. Yeah. Do you yeah. not think that a lot of this, see, to me, I see it as the first casualty of the trend you identified for this whole snackable bite-sized content thing? Because at the end of the day, what happens is the fans don't care who's the world test champion they want to watch the highlights and that's why you're getting all these governing bodies springing up and all these weird little matchups and logan paul yeah, and yeah, all this crap yeah it doesn't yeah. matter they don't care about what any of it means they just want to watch something that's hyped up so if if someone some random new organization can come out throw you know some money at the New Zealand and the Indian Cricket Association say, hey, look, we're going to put on a match and we're going to call the winner the World Test Champions and, um, you know, we'll throw a bit of money at you and we'll put highlights on YouTube and it'll be great and all the... Th this is... Sport is... By catering, by catering yeah. for that mentality, by going down that road and saying, you know, we want to cater for the people who don't give a toss about the sport itself. They just want the event. They just want that five minutes. This is what I said was going to happen all along. You're going to kill the sport, you're going to kill the history, you're going to kill any kind of um, any kind of longevity, any kind of continuity in the name of what? In the name of watching Logan Paul get slapped around by someone who doesn't want to hurt him. I mean, it's just, to me, that's where all this stems back to, Rog, is this, this idea that we need to cater for today's audience and their love of meaningless, showy, made-for-TV content. There's a, there's a lot to unpack there, Grant, and I know that's your point, and and, and it is it is one of them. There, there's not just one driver here. Yeah, no, I'm not uh, saying it's the only driver, and, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is again, you know, I, I'm not asking people to believe me or to believe you and and the differences we've got in our opinions. I'm asking them to put themselves in the eyes of somebody new who looked at sport for the first time today. And I'm telling you, they would not believe the nonsense that goes on, uh, the rant I've had for the last 20 minutes. They would think like that. My experience in life in general is that, you know, if you're going to make progress uh, to address an issue, it's like Alcoholics Anonymous. You have to stand up and you need to say, I'm sport. I don't have a business model and I'm losing the next audience. And there's too many people who don't care because they're just interested in the next five years to sit in the royal box and get the comfy seats in the expense account. Grant, you're right in what you say about how many times have I said it needs EQ to manage this properly, but you can only start to do that if you realise you've got a problem. There are too many people in sport that think there are no problems and they think that their solution to the future is just throwing more and more games, more and more competitions, and they are just desperately wrong it's going to hit them like a brick wall and i just would i would want people i would advise people to just sit down and say 
We've got major, major problems, but we understand our sport, so we're the right people to deal with these problems. That's all I ask. I don't ask them to throw the baby out with the bathwater and pass it over to um, the manager of, of Logan Paul or or, or or Overtime or Triller or Shorter. If you really want to do your job and earn your big, big salary, start tomorrow morning, go into your office and say, we have got a problem and they're paying me to solve it. And Roger, isn't this interesting? Is that, you know, what what you started, you and Grant, three or four years ago and, and, and talking about the, the problems coming down the line. There is a deep irony for me as well about all of this, which is the solution, which is about understanding the consumer and talking to the consumer and talking to the fan and understanding the fan and analyzing the fan, the new fan, the old fan, the geography, the socioeconomics, the demographics, all of those things, rather like our sponsors at Entourage and Pumpjack, it is not coincidental those companies have come to us because you guys set out early to talk about the problem and perhaps what the solutions might be facing sport. And this is why I'm incredulous I'm incredulous that so many rights holders now, who I've been speaking to recently for, for, for reasons you know, still are in denial about investing in understanding their customer base. They just would prefer it to be a bit of television data that they hoiked out of somewhere from a few years ago, rather than getting to the kernel of the problem, which is we need to understand our consumer and we need to understand what the consumer, the next generation was and get out there. And it, it doesn't mean on a clipboard on a rainy Thursday with a piece of A4 paper, which is how research used to be. We now have through the, the joy of technology, the ability to communicate in real time to find out from the people that pay the bills, what they want, how they want to react, and then to analyze it. And that is why the investment's coming into sport. And it's why so many rights holders are still, as you say, are sitting kind of just hoping that this problem will go away. But look, yeah. look, look, look yeah. let, let's talk for a second about golf, right? A game with arguably a longer and more storied tradition than, than any of the other sports I, I can think of, certainly mainstream sports a game that is renowned for being stuffy, but a game that also has to move into this new generation, this new paradigm, whatever you, however you want to phrase it. And what have they done, right? They have added the FedEx Cup, Rog, which takes care of the big money competition, right? Check, we've done that. We have catered for the fans by putting the top tracer technology by lots of inside the rope stuff, by social media stuff, check, we've done that. We're catering to that audience. We are putting on made-for-TV matches, the match. You know, Tiger and Phil was the first one. It was dreadful. They rethought it. They came back with a couple of NFL quarterbacks. Check, they're doing that. But at the core of it, at the very core of it, what have they done to the game? Nothing. It's untouched. A tour, a, yeah, a tour top event. Top golf have done that. Top golf fine, have done that. But a tour event is four rounds. It's 72 holes. There's yeah, a yeah, cut on yeah. Friday. There are still four tournaments a year which are measured above every other tournament, the majors. They're the ones that everybody wants to win. So it is possible to keep your heritage, to keep That's right. what makes your sport matter, to, both for the players and for the fans, and entertain this new world. Right. And, and you know, we come back to the Euros. Why do you need to do what they've done to it? Why don't you keep it as an elite 
16 team or no, whatever knockout tournament where, where, yeah. where you have one group of games and then the top two in each group go through the knockout. Simple. Why do you have to do that? You, you, you know you the make, Well, no, exactly. You're right. You're right. But I'm saying, but don't tell me golf aren't squeezing every last dime out of this. They can. They absolutely it's are. The, it's a really delicate balance, Grant. It's a really delicate balance. About, but golf can do uh, it. Golf's done it. Well, I don't, I, no, I don't think they have. I just don't think they have because there's this horrible big elephant in the corner of the room which is saying, uh, there's a great podcast I listened to the other day which is basically saying there's maximum 10 guys that move the needle commercially in golf, maximum. Once upon a time there was one and Giles you know, knows the guy very well. Now there's maybe a handful, 10. Everybody else is great players, worthy, nice characters. They're, they're, they're just making up the numbers. Golf hasn't addressed that, Grant. I, I keep telling you, everything you say does not address the fact of that 2021, we are in a world that polarises between a commodity and a premium asset. And in sport, that's the superstars and the journeymen. Golf does not treat them like that anymore, like most sport doesn't. And like you were suggesting at the start, we should do with college athletes. We keep them all more or less the same. That's not how the market works. No, but hang on, are, no, that's different. That, the college thing's different. They're supposed to be at school. Once they go pro, it's every man for himself, of course. You but think my, those guys are there for school? They are um, athletics programs with uh, a little curriculum tagged on Roger, at the end. No, hang on, hang on, hang on a second. If you, if, you look at, if you look at a squad of college basketball players, you know that there are two-thirds of them know they are not going on to a career in pro basketball. They know they're not. They're there to get their degree. Yes, they're athletes, but they know. They, they Look, they play against these guys in scrimmages every day. You know I'm not at that level. I cannot make it in the pros. If I can't beat I'll give you that. the guys I'll I'm playing that. college practice against every day. But I, look, I just, I mean, look, you're right. Of course, golf hasn't done it. And we've got this golf world league breakaway nonsense that, that's batting around. But in terms of changing the game, the way they have in football to these nonsensical rounds in the tournaments, you know, the second knockout group phase that we get in the world cup now, golf has at least navigated that and kept the integrity of what, the structure. I, I, apart from the majors, which I agree, just like test matches, they should be the way they always have been. What reason on God's green earth is there for having the British Masters over four rounds? What reason is the, the golf at the Olympics in that format when they had a real chance to do something really innovative? What reason? It's because people are lazy and they just don't think outside the box. There's n th That's what needs to get addressed. That's the thinking that's missing Grant. So what, would, you, would you have the Olympics that uh, it's the first guy to get the ball in, through the windmill and into the clown's mouth? Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the 100 metres, you know, like the 100 metres, what is there, four rounds, four heats? You know, same yeah, thing. Yeah, have, have, them, have them chased by angry dogs. Right? Yes. <laughs> Great. Great for TV. <laughs> Oh man, oh man, you'll be there, you'll be there, one of the last guys, 90 with your walking stick, come on, fool him, it'll be fucking empty stadium. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in an empty stadium at Fulham for years, Roger, that's, not, that's nothing new. I remember when Rodney and Jim Bestie were here, it was great times. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear what else have we got to kick around I, I, well I don't want to lose Jill's point here about sponsorship cool. uh, because yeah. I got a little anecdote from this week 
I was introduced to the the main marketing commercial guy, one of the very big Italian clubs. I could probably you could probably guess who it is, but I, I won't say the name. They, they are about to change their historic uh, shirt sponsor and looking for a new one, and the number's very big. And I was introduced by somebody said you should speak to him because he seems to understand what's going on. And this guy, and uh, this is the interesting point, Giles. This guy didn't come from football and sport. He came from luxury, came from Samsung, um, fast-moving consumer goods, all that kind of stuff. And you remember, so th- th- this was a kind of like broker date. And he was a bit sceptical. And he says to me, Giles, he says, um, I don't get this sports stuff and sponsorship. You tell me, he says to me, you tell me why anybody should put mega bucks down to sponsor the shirt of a football team or a Serie A team. And um, I said to him, I'll give you the answer, mate. And it's not the one you think. If you can tell me of all your fan base and how many X hundreds of millions of fans that you allegedly claim to have, how many of them have got a car that's at least three years old and you can tell me their related salary, I will pay you a shitload of money for that information. I don't care about the exposure on the shirt. I don't care about the billboards. I don't even care about the postings, blah, blah, blah. I want your data at that level so I can sell my product. He says, right, that's the answer and we can now talk. And we talked about who could be their next sponsor. And, you know, that's a conversation that does not normally happen. You know, there's so many podcasts around these days and you hear agencies and, you know, some of them just make you laugh. They're a day late and a dollar short and, you know, they're talking about data as if it's been like yesterday's news. And and, and anyway, so the guy at the club says to me, you know, we don't have any of the data you're talking about. We're lucky if we've got uh, a million um, of people that we know well. Uh, we, we moved it up from 600,000 we had last year. We've got a million now, but you know, you know what what kind of car they've got, their salary. We don't have that. And I said, you know what? That's why companies like Cognizant are your perfect sponsor because they may pay you the money, but they will give you that. You know, guys. You know, uh, this is the conversation that is needed to have around sponsorship, and it's just not happening. That's no, my but, view, anyway, Giles. Well, and and you're right because rather than the sponsorship deck and i've seen a few over the years which is what we can give you is a a logo inserted somewhere in the experience of the fan which is largely not much of an experience it's pretty visual and maybe some uh, volavant and uh, some hospitality well that's quite a tough sell these days not just with covid but with governance people that's harder and harder and then people will talk about workforce engagement, which I actually think is very powerful for businesses where they, that they can use the, the assets of something that is exciting and humanizing, you know, something in sport or music or entertainment or whatever it may be. But fundamentally, exactly what you said is a sponsor wants to get inside the head of someone he or she wants to sell their product to. And the more information that you can get about that, rather than it being assumptive, becomes the most extraordinarily powerful vehicle. Because if you are a fan of the opera or a football club or whatever it may be, and you've got that demographic, you can sell that car, you can sell that beer, if you're allowed to sell beer, we can come back onto that a bit later. But you can sell products to people because you know everything about them. And that is the 
you know, I talk about it so long and you're right that there are people now jumping on the, the no it's not jumping on the data bandwagon of course they are they've listened but still it hasn't drifted into telling me that you've got 500,000 emails is not the data that is of value <laughs> no <laughs> I, it <laughs> no. doesn't matter that means you can just sell them uh, you can send out some information about a newsletter and get some tickets what i want to know is their gender i want to know where they live i want to know how many kids they've got i want to know salary. what car they drive i want that salary i need to build the picture because actually sponsorship was always that you know said well sports like golf and rugby went for a very high-end demographic and that's why the banks tended to go in them uh, into those sports well fine prove it don't just say it and don't give me the anyway i'm seeing decks again and it, it's depressing I'm, fr I'm i'm frustrated because they're sitting on a gold mine they're sitting on a gold mine which is fans who give a shit and that's what sponsors want you should be neutral to the sport you should be absolutely passionate about the fan yeah well said yeah. well said yeah. well gents we've um We've got a, a couple of minutes of our lunch hour left, so uh, anything else we need to kick around before we, oh, yeah, before we get back I, I, to work? I, I, I want to wind you up, as usual, at the end. Go on then, have um, a crack. I saw you did a magnificent piece on Tether, which for people that don't know, and Grant's newsletter is a crypto exchange that is behind a lot of the currencies, the cryptocurrencies that people may be aware of, Bitcoin, Ethereum, things like that, but mainly, mainly Bitcoin. Grant's piece is dramatically controversial and is, it's been a two or three days it's been driving the whole FinTwit community. The point I just wanted to make, Grant, is that talking about sponsorship here, you know who the latest big sponsor is in sport? Oh, go on. <laughs> Crypto exchanges. Ah, there's, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, there's one called F FTX. FTX, yep. Um, last six months alone, FTX has signed sponsorship agreements with the Miami Heat, esports franchise TSM, and the MLB that are worth more than three hundred and fifty million combined. Yep, yep. It, it's it's it's, it's we we've, we've, always we've follow the money. Always follow the money. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there there are there are remarkable stories about the wealth that's been created in crypto, as ephemeral as it may eventually turn out to be, we don't know. But uh, look, those guys are spraying money around left and right and putting their names on just about everything they can. And there will be an arena named after a crypto exchange for sure. A major league sports franchise will be playing in the Binance arena at some point, Rog. But these things, if you look back historically, they tend to mark tops in markets. They tend to mark turning points when new up-and-coming Companies, new up-and-coming um, you know, businesses put their names on big things. They tend to mark the end rather than the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, but, but again, I, I would like to, to, to say seriously here, we've talked about this theme. Just adapt to who is financing your industry. And there are two big groups of people that are financing sport just now. There is the, the modern version of the media company that is obsessed by direct-to-consumer, uh, the, the um, Disney Pluses and everything like that. Uh, how do they think? What's their way of operating? What's their uh, philosophy? Uh, is it ARPU? Is it cost of customer acquisition? Is it churn? Yes, it's all of those things. If you can't speak that language, you're not going to be able to speak to people that can potentially finance your sport. So get skilled up. The second one who is financing, and it may come through a long way around the houses, but it's Silicon Valley. 
you know, it's the people financing the VCs, the people financing Triller, the people financing Overtime. I could go on and on. Uh, they are putting monies into companies that are either through sponsorship or through licensing or through something else are contributing to the sports industry. And how does Silicon Valley think? You know, they're looking for a big number return. They're not doing it for one and a half times their money. They're looking for a 10-bagger. They're looking for a home run in financial terms. So do yourself a favor, sport. Understand the kind of messaging these two macro groups of financiers want. And, you know, get smart. Speak their language. Don't speak the language of Vic Wakeling of 25 years ago, which was, how much do you want for your rights? I've bought them, get lost. That isn't today's sport industry. Yeah, very, very good point. Sorry, well, Charlie, it, I thought you, well, I, I thought no, you were leaning no, in to no, say no, something no, important. No. Well, I was. I was just hoping out there, you know, I was thinking about the sponsors we've got for, for, for these shows. But it'd be nice also to have a, a lawnmower brand, you know, come in, Flymo, someone like that. It would be, be quite nice being Q to come in, you know, just to show that we've got our, you know, our fingers on the pulse of grassroots sports as well. Who is more important than a groundsman? I wonder. There isn't anyone. Oh, let's, let's make sure that question is 100% rhetorical, shall we? Otherwise, we're going to get deluged with the replies <laughs> to that. Well, gents, look, as always, it's been a fun hour. Thank you to you two for taking a break to have a chat. Thanks, uh, of course, to our our sponsors the wonderful entourage media for their help in bringing this to you and, and thanks to you for listening as always uh, again it's a repeated request but if you can find the time to rate and review the podcast in itunes we'd be eternally grateful and we will be back again in the not too distant future with um with another episode of this in the meantime you can follow us on twitter you'll find us at entertained r that's the word a-r-e you'll find me at t-t-m-y-g-h and you can find me, Giles Morgan, at GilesMorgan71. And you can find myself, if you so wish, at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Gentlemen, back to it we go. Lovely. Lovely.